Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to tune in. It's not about you. It's about what God can do through you to bless others. Have you found that it's easy to be obedient when it doesn't inconvenience you, challenge you or cost you anything? Painful truth, that one, isn't it? Obedience cost the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah 17 shekels of silver, and he wasn't going to see a good return either. But it was an investment that had major ramifications for Israel. Let's find out why with Dr. Corbett tonight. Put your money where your mouth is. We're in chapter 32. We've got Jeremiah, who first five verses we read, he was imprisoned 18 months ago. And the 18 months comes about some 20 to 30 years of prophesying a very similar message. So so by the time we're in chapter 32, I I guess it would help to understand that what you're about to read is not from here on, and, and even a little bit before this, is not necessarily chronological. It's been arranged in a certain way for a reason. So we're actually going to come back to this episode in in a couple of chapters, I think we, we come back to this and we, we get a little bit more detail. So here we are, 20, 30 years into Jeremiah's prophesying. He's prophesied from about the age of 12, 13. So if that was 15, 16, it's in that ballpark when he started his ministry, very, very young. And he's been prophesying now 20... 30, perhaps 40 years. So the young man, Jeremiah, is now an older man, Jeremiah. And 18 months ago, he was prophesying that Babylon would come. They would lay siege to Jerusalem. They would prevail. And eventually they would break through and take the king. They would kill the king's sons in his presence and then they would blind the king and this would be the last thing King Zedekiah would see. All right, so that's what Jeremiah had been saying some 18 months ago from where we're at now. And he was in, uh, then, then the Babylonians did come. They got wind that Egypt was coming, so they withdrew. The Egyptians actually didn't turn up. The Babylonians came back with reinforcements. And here we are, and Jeremiah, when they withdrew, Jeremiah was in prison for being a false prophet. And so now here we are, 18 months down the road, the very thing he was accused of being a false prophet for is actually happening. And the king we saw last time comes to Jeremiah and says, why are you prophesying this? And quotes the prophecy from 18 months ago verbatim to Jeremiah. Now, this next little bit is interesting because the king's asked Jeremiah a question. And I'm, it's not clear in my mind whether it's arranged this way simply for us, the reader, or if this is how Jeremiah responded to the king. Because he launches essentially into a story. And that in itself is really interesting. And there's... This story, so having set it up, that Jeremiah is now somewhere around about the age of 50 or so. And so what you're about to read in this story, I want you just to understand that just, you know, if we go back, even the previous chapter and then back into chapter 29, Jeremiah has said that when the Babylonians break through, those people who've been taken captive into Babylon 
will be there for, anyone remember how many years? 70 years. 70 years, all right? So the captivity, the, being exiled from Jerusalem, will last 70 years. So just factor that in. This is all background I'm giving you now. And it will hopefully add a dimension to this story, which I, I hope you'll, you'll do a couple of things. Step back and go, wow, that Jeremiah was some man. And secondly, I hope you'll step back and go, I reckon there's something in that for me. I reckon God is calling us to a similar kind of obedience. So I've called this section that we're going to look at from verses 6 down to 15, put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. Originally, I was going to call it fielding in Anathoth, but that doesn't, that's just not catchy at all. Put your money where your mouth is. All right, here we are in, we're going to take verses 6 and 7 of chapter 32. Jeremiah said, so this is in response to the king's question. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me, verse 7, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field, that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase, is yours. Verse 8. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Note this last section. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. That is, that is just outstanding. Here's a man who's prophesied something that is happening and he's in prison for it. He's around 50. So for the last 38 or so years, he's seen nothing but prophecy and fulfillment one after another. And yet, look how fragile he is. Look how fragile he is. It's amazing that your current status with the Lord is based on where you're at now, not where you were. Here's Jeremiah in prison. What was he thinking? This isn't what a successful prophet looks like. This isn't how I thought serving God would go. And God gives him this little encouragement. Isn't that beautiful. <laughs> Where he's in the palace prison, the palace guard. And apparently people could come and visit him. He was free to have visitors, I guess in much the same way that Paul was in a similar sort of prison arrangement in the last chapter of the book of Acts. And here we have Jeremiah receiving this word and not sure that he's actually hearing from God. Now, this does me tremendous good. <laughs> I'm, I know I'm not the only one. Who you, you hear, as it says in Job, 
Behold, I hear his voice. What a whisper it is. What a whisper it is. Was, was, was that you, God? <laughs> and here's Jeremiah. Was that you, God? And then it happened. And then I knew it was God. Have moments like that? I've had a few of those. So here's, here's a really, really beautiful thing. Faith in God's word is not without evidence. I want you to understand that sometimes God will get you to do things that are in accord with his word, which you may not like. You, but, he, but that one I don't really care about. Just suck it up and get on with it. But here's the thing that... that I'm not supposed to say that, but he, here, here's the deal. There will be, more often than not, there'll be things that you, that you feel God put on your heart. They're in alignment with his word, but you don't understand why. You don't understand why he would want you to do it. That one, you may not have a reason to, for the why. Why does God want me to do it? I really feel God wants me to give X amount or God wants me to ring this person or God wants me to do that. And you could find a scripture to support those kinds of things. But I don't understand why. I'm a pretty rational sort of guy. I've got to have a reason and a purpose and I've got to have certain boxes ticked. But there's a box that I, I, I don't often get ticked and that's the why box. Why, God? Why? And I spoke about that last Sunday night when we looked at the book of Job. So faith in God's word is not without evidence. God will give good reason why his word is his word. You may not like it. You may not understand it. But he'll give you good evidence to know that it is his word. There's a lot of things in Scripture that I go, why did, why did you do it that way, God? Why did Israel have to march around Jericho every day for seven days and on the seventh day march around seven times and then blow ram's horns? Why? I don't exactly know why. And if you tell me, well, that's how walls, city walls fall down, Andrew... I'm going to say, I think you need to maybe just ponder this whole story a little bit more. So, Jeremiah, his faith is bolstered because the word of the Lord was fulfilled. But notice this, this required some obedience on the part of Hanamel. Hanamel could have been unresponsive or unresponsive, but he wasn't. And because he wasn't, look what it did to Jeremiah. You know, I think of that time when... This, it's one of those quirky little stories in the New Testament that I just scratch my head over. Where Peter says to Jesus, we can't go in the temple because we don't have the temple tax. Jesus says, okay, I'll wait here. You go down to the lake. Bait a hook. First, just put it in. Within a couple of minutes, you'll catch a fish. Pull that fish out, open its mouth, and there'll be two coins in there. One for you, one for me, and that'll cover the tax. 
why, why did Jesus do that? I don't know. I don't know. I can guess that you know, a lot of God's miracles, he has ordained require human partnering. I see that in scripture. I don't know why he does it that way. I don't know why he just doesn't let us get really fat and lazy and he just does it all for us. That would seem quite reasonable to me. Why he expects me to do anything for myself, I, I don't understand that. But, but think about this story for a minute. How did those coins get in the mouth of that fish? There's, I'm going to take a stab and say... Somebody had two coins that they threw into the water. How did they get in the fish's mouth? Probably as they went in, some fish was going up for air. (laughs) And it's now got two coins in its mouth. As it's trying to figure out what's just happened, next thing there's a worm. Now, my, 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 my imagination is like, who threw the coins in? Why did they throw them in? Well, the answer we know is because Jesus needed to pay his temple tax for himself and for Peter. But, so, but God was working in someone's life to do something that appeared to be utterly random. And they obeyed. Now, I'm not trying to foster a culture of being utterly random. But maybe we need to be open to the fact that we won't always... I'm not, gonna, I'm not doing that until I know why. Maybe we need to... Some of that's got to go. Look, I don't know why, but I really feel I need to do this. And I'm not trying to say, just go by your feelings. I am saying ground yourself in the Word. But there'll be things in the Word that you'll read and go, I don't understand why God would want me to do that. And here's Hanamel. And maybe he didn't understand why. I got a suspicion he understood. I think his motive was, hey, if, if this guy Jeremiah, my cousin, is, is in prison for the very thing he said would happen and it's happening, and the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to invade the land, my field in, in Benjamin, Anathoth, is going to be worth nothing. Who, where can I find a bunny... To sell it to. I know. <laughs> Jeremiah. Maybe that's what was happening in Hanamel. Okay. So whatever the reason was, the fact that Hanamel responded, look what it did to Jeremiah. It bolstered his faith. It bolstered his faith. Have you ever noticed what happens to our worship time as a church when we have 20 people turn up on a Sunday morning and we're going for it, compared to when we have 200 here on a Sunday morning going for it. Look, call me flitty and quite, what's that word, when you're sort of, you know, just fragile and, and just being precious that whenever there's a lot of people here, I'm encouraged. Whatever that really horrible word is, that's me bolstered by the actions of others. I take heart from Jeremiah. Hanamel responded in some way to God and Jeremiah was encouraged. Jeremiah was encouraged. And sometimes there are people whose faith gets low and cold 
And they, they do exactly what they shouldn't do. They withdraw from fellowship. And where's the one place where they're going to have their faith heated up and strengthened and built up? It's in the company of other believers. So Hanamel encouraged... So remember that. And, and by the way, it's not about you. Your action... You may come really sad, dysfunctional and depressed and all the rest of it and think, well, I don't get anything out of it or I'd rather sit home. It's not about you. Thank you. I thought it was good preaching too. (laughs) It's about what God can do through you to bless others. If I only ever preached to you when I was feeling quite functional, there wouldn't be a lot of preaching happening. (laughs) So don't wait to get your act together before you think God can use you. And all the dysfunctional people said, I feel at home. (laughs) All right, verse 9. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. Jeremiah 32, verse 9. Now, that's a substantial amount of money. That's a lot of money. 17 shekels of silver. Jeremiah's been a prophet um, since his, his, well, it's his only career, really. Isn't this amazing? Faithful to God, times are tough, people are treating him poorly, and yet 17 shekels? No problem. I, I find that incredible. Here's, here's a man who says, sure, let's do it. So I find this counterintuitive thing, that you think by serving God, by doing what God wants, by tithing, by offering, by being generous, you're going to be worse off. It's counterintuitive. Here's Jeremiah. He'd been provided for by God. He had the ability... To, to build reserves during this whole time. This is amazing. He had the ability to build reserves. And, and, and we get the, if you get nothing else from it, you should see building reserves, being wise with your finance, is not ungodly. Some people have the attitude that, that only the poor can be close to God. It's, it's not necessarily so. You can be. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to baptize greed or you know ultra materialism or anything. I'm just saying I think this is incredible that Jeremiah was in a position where 17 shekels of silver was no problem. Let's do it. That's that's incredible. So he was provided for by God. Next verse, verse 10. I seal I signed the the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch. Now that's an important name, by the way. Worth remembering this guy. He becomes Jeremiah's faithful friend. Faithful, faithful friend. And he's been on the scene before, but we haven't been told about him. And now he's introduced to us, the reader... And as we read on, we're actually going to go back in time and see how this guy comes into the picture. Oh, man, what what a gift. 
from God, Baruch was. He gets his own chapter, by the way. Jeremiah prophesies just to him in chapter 45. Gets a prophecy. Very, very important guy. I don't know that if I was Brooke, I would have wanted the world to read that prophecy because it was kind of like, stop your sooking and get on with it, says the Lord. That, that's the essence of, chapter, of Jeremiah 45. But I'm jumping ahead to part 183 and you don't want to go there just yet. All right. <clears throat> so I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. I charged Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel, that they may last a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Jeremiah has bought this field. He's about 50. Some commentators think he may even be about 60. I'm going to go with about 50. And he knows that there's no way, if, if the word of the Lord is true, there's no way he's going to get possession of this land until he's at least 120. In other words, it's not likely to happen. So why did he do it? Well, firstly, God told him to. But then he still had to obey. And can you see how your mind would work? Hang on, God, hang on. So, God, you want me to buy a field that I'll never be able to see, never be able to use, never be able to take possession of because I'll be dead. And you want me to do this? Why again? And the why that Jeremiah gets is, it's not about you, Jeremiah. God gives him because houses will again be bought and sold in this country. Vineyards will be planted again. And you doing this, Jeremiah, is a prophetic statement that I have not abandoned my people. There is hope beyond you, Jeremiah. It's not about you. Maybe we should get that a T-shirt. It's not about you. I'd wear it. Jeremiah, it's not about you. It's about me saying something through you to bless others. All right. So why did Jeremiah do this? This had to be an exercise of faith. This was an exercise of faith. And faith is only ever really faith when it results in obedience. Jeremiah obeyed. And that's how you can tell if someone really has faith. Jeremiah's life served as a prophetic sign of hope. And Jeremiah, you know, here we are saying he had the reserves to be able to do this. I wonder if that was the end of his reserves. In other words, all he had left, I'm wondering, all he had left was 17 shekels of silver. That puts faith in a different light. I mean, if you've got 17,000 shekels of silver, 17 shekels of silver, that's not faith. That's a tip. It's nothing. But if that's all you've got left and God calls you to do this, 
I'm going to hunch that this came at a great cost to Jeremiah. It came at a great cost. Put your money where your mouth is. Do we believe that everyone needs to turn to Jesus as their saviour? Do we believe there's eternal consequences if they don't? Maybe we should put our money where our mouth is. And I don't mean just cash money. I mean what we value, our life, a commitment. So here's Jeremiah being challenged to obey in this way. came at a great cost. He had to put, literally put his money where his mouth was. So here's a profound point. When God calls you to obey... There's always going to be a price to pay. Always. Jeremiah paid the price. We're going to see coming up that Jeremiah actually has a God, why did I do this moment? And we'll talk about that next time. But right now, knowing this, preparing this, it's like, God, use me. I'll pay a price. Whatever the price is, use me. God, use us as a church. We'll pay a price. This is really important that people come to know Jesus. This is really, really, really important what we're doing as a church. There's a price to pay. There's a price to being here on a Sunday morning. There's a price to being here Sunday night. There's a price to being a part of a small group. There's a price to pay in following Christ generally. Are you paying it? Let's pray. Father, we see the life lessons of your servant Jeremiah and I'm personally just so stirred at this man's willing obedience. This man's ability to to honour you and obey you. And God, I pray that my heart will be that responsive to you. Help me to pastor, to shepherd, to lead, to teach, to feed, to guard so that people's faith is built up and strengthened and that Lord they are prepared to pay a price perhaps you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ you don't have peace with God if you were to die right now you know that you were just one heartbeat away from being lost for an eternity where you don't enjoy peace with God and God right now because of what Jesus Christ has done is offering you eternal life eternal peace eternal joy and there's a price to pay and the price you pay is to surrender your life give your life to God and it starts with a prayer dear Jesus have your way in my life help me to live for you I pray amen Put your money where your mouth is. When God calls you to obey, there is a price to pay, not necessarily in dollars and cents, but a price just the same. Dr. Corbett continues in Jeremiah next week when great worship is wrong. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of the Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.